and hey. What's up, guys? Hey. If you don't know me, I'm Nick. I'm our missions and worship pastor here at Mercy Hill Church. And uh, can, I, can I have all of you, like, fit in over here? Would that be okay? One, two, three. Go, 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 Anywhere you want to go, that's good. Perfect. Awesome. You guys are awesome. Um, so normally, Pastor Dan's here preaching if it's your first time to the edge, uh, but he is on a hiatus for the next two weeks. Uh, this week, uh, something else, and then next week, vacation. So you'll have Pastor Loudon will actually be preaching next week. Um, ooh. I'll tell me y'all did that. Like, ooh. Actually, can I video that? And just, like, I'll go, ooh. Here, real quick. So yeah, guys, next week, uh, Pastor Loudon, Pastor Loudon's actually going to be, be preaching. We'll appreciate that. And if you're watching online, you, you already saw this, so it's weird. Uh, yes. So we're going to be in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12. It's after the 11th chapter. Just for some of y'all. Thanks, thanks. Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. We'll have it on the screen, but I know you guys are set down, but let's stand back up and let's read the word together. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight and to open your word. May you be honored and blessed. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Please be seated. So Romans was a book written by a guy named Paul. Paul was radically changed by the gospel at one time. Um, this very, very intelligent, wise man multilinguist, meaning he spoke a lot of languages, he was very rich, he, he had it going on, and he was intersected um, on the road of Damascus by Christ himself, and he was, he was asked, why, are you, why do you keep persecuting my people? And he had the revelation of Christ as king, uh, his name was Saul, converted to Paul, and noted as one of the greatest missionaries of all time, uh, that's where you see three different missionary journeys throughout the New Testament. And uh, one of the churches that he landed up at was a church in Rome, and that's where we get the book of Romans. Uh, so also knowing that, we, we believe here at Mercy Hill that the word of God is that exactly, the word of God, meaning it's, it's living, it's active. Um, for the believer, you can read it in a way that's so fresh and so amazing. We, 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 we hold tightly to the truth that when we, when we read the word of God, we aren't just reading a book written by some guy that, that was saved by Jesus. We believe that it's the inspired word of God without error, meaning it has no wrongies in it, right? Um, and it's, it's completely sufficient, meaning you can read the word as an unbeliever, hear the gospel, and God can save you. So a lot of times when, you, when, we, when, we, when we talk about in church culture, like, hey, you can read the Bible and it's written by this man. Sometimes we forget, like, at the end of the day, it's still the written word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned by Paul to the church in Rome. So that's where we're at tonight. Uh, and Romans 12 starts uh, this interesting um, phrase, I appeal to you, therefore. And if you have any English class or if you're in English class now, therefore is therefore reason. So the last 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul had laid out the plan of salvation. 
um, for, the, for the believers there, he was writing back as a prisoner in change, and he was writing back to these people saying, hey, these are the things that have been happening lately. Um, this is what God's done. This is how he can continue to do it. And now there's this, this change in his conversation with these believers. Uh, this, this letter would be like read aloud, so somebody would stand up and, and read it as Paul would, would write to them. And, he, and, he, and, he, and something changes here. He, he, he had been encouraging these believers in their salvation, what the Lord had done, and then he wants to give them a command. He, he catches their attention by saying, I appeal to you. It's like your mama saying, hey, you better listen, right? Just like you, now you're listening, right? So it was one of those moments of, hey, let's listen. So let's do it together. Hey, hey, now listen, all right. And he wanted to teach these people what it meant to have real life. So, for, again, the last 11 chapters, he had been going through explaining this Christian faith and, and the mercies of God and what all had happened. And he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, not by his own doing, not by some wishful thinking, but by the mercies of God. And so I love to have conversations in, in this type of environment. Um, when you hear the word mercy, what do you think of? Go ahead. Sparing someone what they, what they deserve? Yeah? Any, any other ideas of mercy? Grace? Okay, that's good. You must have been reading my notes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. A second chance. I like that, yep. Anybody else? People in the back? Anybody? Once, going twice? Yes, sir. Kindness, yeah, that's good. Um, mercy is receiving something that you, is not receiving something that you do deserve, right? Forgiveness in its essence, kindness in its essence. Um, the internet can take you to a lot of weird places sometimes, right? Um, especially nowadays when everybody has access to like show whatever they're doing, like juggling cats while they're on fire. I'm like, what's going on? But um, I was going through Facebook. I'm an old guy, I love Facebook still. And um, this, this story came up, and it was of this woman, and it was titled, um, Mom Forgives Murderer, right? And you're like, oh, and, and news, if you take any type of, like, news culture classes, the, the phrase is, if it bleeds, it leads. That's why you normally see the headlines or something that's going to be like, oh, my gosh, somebody's dying. Um, but this one was, Mom um, Forgives Murderer. And basically in this story, this, this lady, uh, this man had, had unfortunately murdered her daughter, and she comes and she gives him a big hug and says, hey, I, I forgive you. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I want to show you mercy because of what Christ has done in my life. And those moments of mercy were just so, I was like, oh, that's so good. Um, and when we see here, Paul, in that same kind of forgiveness, wraps his arms around, figuratively, these believers and say, hey, wake up. I'm going to share something with you. But it's only done by that of mercy only done by that of mercy. And he wants to share with them how to have a real life. So I want to share with you guys tonight, how do you really have a real life? Because our, our, our world is so digitized. Um, you have Facebook that's trying to create this metaverse. Like everything is so on screen, right? The clothes you wear, why do you wear them? Because somebody else wore them. For some of y'all. No, some of y'all are like, I don't care. Like Alexa, she has a vintage dress. She's like, I'm, I'm about it. The, the music you listen to, why do you listen to it? Well, because somebody shared it on Snapchat or Instagram. Why, why do you do the things? You, why do you have the hair that you do? Why do you, you know, do the weird things on, online? I don't understand it. But we have to know what it means to have a real life apart from our screens. So again, when we see the text here, these are mercies given by God. We have to know that this mercy 
is a gentle reminder that these believers have been forgiven by God through Christ, and they have a personal relationship with him. The Bible also says that um, God's mercies are new every morning. Um, that's, that's figurative to say, hey, they're, they're unending. Like his mercies, when you wake up fresh in the morning, there's new mercy for that day. As you, as you think about the sins of yesterday, there's still mercy for tomorrow. And, and somebody said, where mercy is, grace is inevitable. I think of mercy and grace like a best friend duo hanging out, doing their thing. Because grace is receiving something we don't deserve. Getting, getting the opportunity to be saved by Christ, we deserve in our sin debt, as, as Paul had already told his believers, that the wages of their sin, the, the, the most you, you can muster up to God, all your good works, they're going to lead you to death apart from Christ. And so grace and mercy come in beautifully, and, and we receive the greatest mercy. We even get our name from that. Um, some people are like, hey, why, why is the name Mercy Hill? And it enters into a gospel conversation because mercy was shown at the Hill of Calvary. Um, so anytime you're wearing your Mercy Hill shirt, like at school or with other people or your family, you have an opportunity right in that moment to be like, hey, let me tell you about this Mercy Hill. Not, not, not my church necessarily, but what God's done in my life. Paul commands these believers, just as we would read today, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So he continues on here. And when we, when we, when we see the word bodies and living sacrifice, sometimes like, like paganism or cultist things come up because that's unfortunately what happens um, in the Old Testament, there was a, a, a pagan deity that demanded the sacrifice of newborn babies, and they would literally throw these babies on a burning hot uh, golden uh, platform, and they would play drums around it as a sacrifice. So Paul's wanting to remind these believers, as these pagans have worshipped, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And there's a, there's a reformer by the name of John Calvin. He would say this. He said that bodies here is not meaning just our skin and our bones, but the totality of all that we are comprised of, meaning every fiber of your being should be about the living God, how we act, how we respond, what we do, what we don't do. Uh, pastor Mike recently, our lead pastor here, he recently said um, that you really get to see what a person worships when they're under pressure or put on a platform. You really get to see what a person worships when they're, when they're, when they're squeezed tight or given a lot of accolades. Um, I get the opportunity a lot, uh, not lately because of COVID, um, to travel and go to different places around the world. And um, I had the opportunity to be in India. And in India, they had... Um, all these like weird things going on. It was near Holly Festival. Holly Festival is the festival of lights, and so they bring lots of uh, little G God deities out. Um, and we we had an opportunity to go into um, the slum areas. So the slums in India, it's a place where people basically live in the slums. Uh, they have tarps. They use trash. They crochet um, different types of. Uh, plastic bags for shoes, and it's a really impoverished area. So we're going there sharing the gospel, which I hope one day we can go back and I can take a handful of you all to go share in the city that we work there in. Um, but I remember um, so distinctly these people coming out of the slums with a whole plate of rice. I was like, oh, they're having lunch, or they're going to offer it to us. And they just kind of walk, walk, walk past us. 
and I followed kind of where they were going, and we, we were doing something, but, you know, I, I get distracted. I have ADHD, DDL, MKB. But I was looking over there, and I saw this, like, this thing. And um, it looked like a monkey, but it was gold-plated with marble slabs in the middle of the slum. And what was happening is that these Indian, belie- these Indian uh, people, they were Hindus, and they were bringing their, their, their food as an offering to this Hindu god. And this Hindu god was half man, half monkey, and his name is Hanuman, and he is the little g-god in the Hindu faith of strength and honesty and honor. And these people were literally sacrificing their food as they go up to this altar, and they literally just place it there. And they believe that this little g-god comes and eats this food in the middle of the night. And I'm like, hey, y'all ain't never heard of dogs? Because <laughs> them dogs, them street dogs, they, they look a mess, and they eat that food. And they, they think it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of worship for them. Um, and and I, I can only imagine, like, how silly that sounds. Why would you take, like, you, you, are, you are poor. You, are, you, you barely have enough food, but this is their act of worship. Their sacrifice. They would rather starve and pray to a, a, an un, un, unliving God than to eat dinner. We were created to worship. We will worship and give our affections to someone or something. And as crazy as it sounds to worship a monkey man, you will worship something. Some of you are worshiping relationships that you hold so tightly to, whether it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a best friend. You will be a living sacrifice for that person. You'll sacrifice your purity, your dignity, your uniqueness, God has crafted you to be exactly who you are, period. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like, you have been created, just you. There's one of you. You'll sacrifice your talents, your joy, all for the sake of worshiping someone's opinion of you. You might worship sports or academia. You will worship something. Everyone in this room worships something. Um, John Piper has the, the uh, quote in one of his books, Let the Nations Be Glad, and it says this simply. He says, and this was actually in my um, high school um, uh, so- uh, softball, baseball coach's math room, and this was before, like way back in the day, but it, it said this. It said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And when he means worship, it means worship of the true living God. We go so people can know and worship Jesus. So we get back to this verse here, and it says, hey, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. May you realize as a believer in Christ that the worship of others or anything else is simply rebellion against God, sin. And sin's kind of a word that we like, okay, like, whoa, sin, like, oh, it's scary, it's icky. But sometimes it's very private, and nobody knows it but you. You're worshiping the desire to be loved and liked, and you sacrifice things that, that, that are meant for someone else. Whether you're worshiping an idea of who you think you want to be, we were called to worship the true living God, and he calls us to be holy. That word holy, again, is to be set apart, to be, to be above anything that looks normative, to be, say, hey, God, this is, this is everything I am, the, the, the totality of who I am, not just my skin and my hair and my bones and my dress and how I say and what I don't say. No, th- your whole essence, when, when, when you walk into a place, somebody should know that you love Jesus. 
that you are his, that you are marked, that we, uh, Paul also says in the book of Galatians, talking to the church of Galatians, that we would be the fragrance of Christ, that people would, 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 would only be like, whoa, there's something radically different about you. This doesn't mean we're going to go walking around singing worship songs all the time or, or beating people over the head with the Bible, but it does mean that our lives should be on display in every facet, not just at church, not just that youth group, not just this weekend when you are going to learn a lot about evangelism and sharing the gospel and, and being about that, but in every fabric and every outlet of your life. Every outlet. And then he continues on and he, and he wants to encourage them um, with a do not statement. A lot of times we have um, these do nots of, of Christian faith, like, hey, if I do these things, I'll be a good kid. If I, or if I don't do these things, I'll be a good kid. He says this. Verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is more of a warning than an added do not thing. This is more of a warning. He's warning these believers, just as we would, I would warn you tonight, don't be conformed. Um, I, I like to study different beliefs and listen to apologetics and, and, and hear where people are at when it comes to faith and culture. And um, I believe that there are three types of people in Nassau County, Uly, Florida area. One, there's the biblical Christian. This person, they believe Christ is who he says he is. They're living out the gospel. They're being about it. Um, they take the Bible for what it is, the living word of God. They try to be obedient to it. They, 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 they share their faith. They're just, they're, you would call these people, man, they're on fire for God. And as I say that, some people might come to your mind. The second type of person um, is, is the postmodern nominalist. That sounds like a big word, but let me explain it. Postmodern means it's, it's something that's post a culture or a, or a grandparent thought or idea. And then nominalism is a, a, an idea that if, if, if Zoe calls a cat a duck, I have to affirm that, that she believes it's a duck, even though it's a cat. Or, like you would understand, some people believe God as a guide or a spirit or, a, or a, an idea or a thought. And so you have these, these Christian nominalists that come into the, the platform and, and they're entering in, into social media. Um, one of the weirdest things I listened to recently was this thing called Witch Talk. It's basically these witches on TikTok uh, affirming that witch and Wiccan pagan worship and Christianity go hand in hand. And it's these theological thoughts, and they're, 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 they're trading the idea of God being holy, infinite, set apart to being more of nature and being one with yourself and getting your uh, chakras right and all those things. Like that, that's, it's, it's people past a faith of their grandparents believing and, and twisting and making God someone he's not at all. And then the most dangerous one, I think, and it, it, again, it's going to be a really big word, but I'll explain it, is a moralistic therapeutic deist. Moralistic therapeutic deist. So, what in the world? Moral, moralistic, hey, they have good morals. They don't spit, they don't chew, they don't get with girls that do. You know what I mean? Like, they, 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 they have their, somebody like, oh, I get it now. Um, they, they're moral people, right? They, they have good morals. They, they're, they're nice. They're people like, oh, she's so funny. And then moralistic therapeutic means that they take what they do and allow it to define their, what do you call it, vibe. And they just, they got a good vibe. 
right? They got a good old vibe. So that she's sweet. She's got a good vibe. And she loves God. But there's nothing ever about what Christ has done for her life. And that's where a lot of, a lot of students of today fall into. Because we live in the South, it's easy to uh, put God in our bios and then show our body in, in the posts. It's easy to put God here, and then when we turn around and we're with our friends, we, there's no honor of God. And I only say this because I've been there. I've done the thing. I've, I've faked it till I made it. This is a warning for Paul, from Paul to these believers, just as it would be to us today. That, they, that this pattern and this world is evil, and he's saying, hey, do not conform to this. We as people of God, especially you guys in your age, should be so radically different in every aspect of your life when it comes to faith. And now more than ever, people are going to notice something's different about you. Because if you don't affirm a certain thing, you're now a hater or you're canceled or whatever it is. Like being a student in today's culture has to be, I think, one of the the craziest things because you want to be loved, right? You want to be accepted. You want to be a part of the crowd. You want to be, you know, um, affirmed. Hey, you're cool. You're awesome. You got it. But when you start standing for things that the world is telling you to bow down to, just like Shadrach, Meshach, something happens. People get riled up. And we cannot be people who accept the normalization of things that the word of God calls sin. That sounds really old school and real old fuddy-duddy, but like when you start making a stand for Christ, people start noticing. People really start noticing these things, and we have to be a generation. So saying all that, we, have to, we do have to be a generation that's full of love and truth, right? We have to be people that are loving, because if it's only love without truth, it's people-pleasing. And all we are doing for those that are not in the faith of Christ, we're just air-conditioning somebody's train to hell. And for people that are so about truth and like, boom, 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 it's condemnation. And they never see the grace of Christ. They never see the mercy of Christ. We are warned to be transformed how? How? How are we transformed? There we go by the renewing of our mind, the Bible, Jesus. It's one of those answers, I'll tell you. But here's what, he's, here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying to take an immoral character, immoral character. He's not even saying, hey, transform yourselves and do better. No, he's saying, let the word of God transform your life. Break free from the patterns of this world. This isn't about doing better. It's about remaining in Christ. It's about remaining in Christ. And he says this, You may discern what is good, what is the will of God, what's acceptable and perfect when you are allowing your mind to be transformed by that of the word. Everybody say the word muse, muse, muse. that's a weird word, I know. Muse, it's literally to sit and fixate. It's not meditation. It's not um, thinking a lot. It's just musing and allowing something to be so just hyper-focused. When was the last time that you sat in the word of God and it changed your patterns? 
When was the last time you said, you know what, Lord? I just want to sit in, in your word. I want to get in your word, dive deep, and learn what it means to follow after you and just be about it. Because by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We have to know that the, um, the Lord doesn't tempt us, right? Some people are like, oh, the Lord is tempting me. No, he ain't, baby. He, ain't, he ain't never did that before. But tests do happen. Tests test reveal our discernment. Tests reveal our knowledge of what God has said and what he's not said. And um, I have to be really honest, I'm, I'm a horrible test taker. Again, as you guys know, if you were here a couple Sundays ago, I graduated high school with a 2.2 GPA. Um, I am not a good test taker. I'm not good in academics. I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at retention. I can barely memorize songs on, that we sing on Sundays. Like, I am, I'm a mess in three quarters. That's why we have a little screen up there. Uh, people are like, what are you looking at there? I'm looking at the words because I, I don't remember them, you know. Um, but tests are hard for me. In, the, in faith, tests prove if we have offered our wills to him. Tests prove if we've offered our wills to him. And um, a lot of you guys are thinking through college, like what, what I'm going to do next, like who am I going to be, where am I going to work, who am I going to be dating, you know, all those things. And so you have all these things that are going on in your life, and, and, and you're asking, Lord, what is your will for me? Well, here it says, if you're transformed by the renewal of your mind, you will know the will of God. We're also encouraged um, in, in the Psalms that um, he says, if, if when the Lord establishes your steps, the Lord establishes your steps. And it says um, our lives can prove what the will of God is only by doing the things that are good, acceptable, and perfect to him. So he gives us a layout. Hey, follow the will of God and do these things. Allow, allow the, the word of God to transform your life and step into these things. When we as young men and young women submit our lives to that of God, we have the assurance that Christ is who he says he is. Um, I was 17 years old when I came to faith in Christ. Um, by that time, I had my worldview figured out. I knew um, I was actually, I practiced Wiccan. It was really weird. Uh, my, me and my friends did some stupid stuff. And I always hated this idea of God as a father because I was fatherless. I mean, you, you, you put a little chart up to my life. I should not be standing here 13 years later speaking to students about what God's done in my life. But I came to the knowledge of Christ at the age of 17, and um, I was at a camp there. I tried to get out of it as much. But my, in my prayer of salvation, it wasn't like this big, crazy moment. Like, if, if I were to go talk to Nick back then, I'd be like, hey, bro, I don't know if you did that right. Like, that, I don't know what you just said, but that ain't right. But I realized that I was a sinner in, in desperate need of grace and desperate need of Christ. And my prayer was to God. God, if you are who you say you are, I will believe and follow you with all that I am. I, I, I know I've wronged you, I guess. Make yourself known. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything sweet. It wasn't this big ah, moment like God didn't come around and hug me. But what happened was God met me as a broken, abused, drug-ridden, toxic teenager, and he gave me new life. He gave me new life, and this new life, um, again, wasn't about my bad things switched out with good things. It was my life that was dead in my sin and trespasses, as, as Paul had been reminding these Romans. And I was brought to life in Christ, in Christ alone. 
This is why I'm so passionate about um, what I do. Because time and time again, I saw God prove that he was who he said he was. Did he have to? No. But one of the biggest things um, that happened to me in, in faith is it, it cost me. Like when you submit yourself and you say, you know what, God, I'm going to take tonight, and I'm going to take Pastor Nick at his word, and I'm going to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to submit my life to you. I'm going to be the word, your Bible, your living active word, as we said in the beginning, and I'm going to live this real life of faith. I'm going to let it transform my patterns. I'm going to let it be uh, just everything that I am. It's going to cost you. And for me, it cost my friends. It cost the comforts of my flesh that I love so dearly. It cost my worship of others. It cost my, the comfort of a high. It cost my hurt. But in exchange, I received a new life and I was transformed. In so much, and again, this is to give God glory, not to be like, oh, wow, that's crazy, awesome, bro. In high school, my senior superlative was most changed. Like, if you look at the yearbook, I look crazy. I used to flat iron my hair. It was really big. I was a mess in three quarters. But it was voted most changed. And I remember thinking back when I got that superlative as, as a high school senior. I said, God, again, you have shown you are who you say you are. In the time of that senior superlative, a friend of mine and now my brother, we started a high school ministry at our high school. Every Tuesday morning, we'd have 300 students show up and pray for our school. Revival was happening. People in our band got saved, on the football team got saved, and the choir room got saved. I mean, it was crazy. The gospel just went like wildfire. Out of the obedience, I'm just saying, Lord, if you are who you say you are, I will follow you with everything I am. I want you to put the Lord to the test. Get in his word and say, Lord, if you are who you say you are, I will follow you with all that I am. And if you tonight, my encouragement to you Live a real life. In every facet that you are, live a real life unto God. And if you're kind of searching, if you're wondering what this whole Christian thing is, let me tell you, Jesus offers the realest life ever. Every idol will fall, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord one day. And everything that you're trying to get to and, and live up to and, 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 and make and worship, it will pass away. We are confirmed by that in the word of God. There's a free gift of salvation. How do we live a real life? Under the mercies of God, presenting ourselves, every bit of us, as a living sacrifice. Set aside holy, worshiping him in everything, and not conforming to that of the pattern of this world being transformed by the word of God and being obedient to his steps. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that your word is true and living and active. God, we ask that you would allow us to see moments that you continue to prove not in your duty, but in your free grace to continue to show us who you are. As we just sung, show us, Lord. Let, it, let, let the words we sung that we will build our lives upon you, let that not just be a song we sing on a Wednesday night, but a life motto. That we can have real life in you, Jesus. We thank you for tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.